Core to the idea of building a new world is invention, technology. We have to create things that have never existed before. Well, how do you do that? How do you make something new? It was just a rapid fire, build this, build that, problem solve this and that, week in, week out for 14 years. Jamie Heineman is best known for his work on Mythbusters, which he hosted for 14 and a half years. Prior to that, he ran a special effects shop in San Francisco for decades, inventing work on over 800 commercials and dozens of feature films. Mostly, he's made a career of building new things. Today, he's using his shop as his own, quote, personal playground. He runs experiments and projects for civilians as well as the military and just kind of comes up with ideas that are needed. Then he builds them. He and I talked about the nature of inspiration and how it relates to invention. What is the fabled eureka moment of inventors and scientists? And how do you nurture your mind in such a way as to kind of prime yourself to have these eureka moments all the time? We talked about incrementalism versus planning and the relationship between the two, but we started with the firefighting robot. I, there are a lot of reasons I wanted to talk to you, but I think the thing that has been most exciting to me, what I've been most looking forward to, is talking about or through this question of invention and the inventor. A lot of what we've been looking at this season of Anatomy of Next seems, I think, to the average listener, sort of like magic. It requires a lot of people making new things. Um, there are even some people who don't believe new things can be built. They believe everything is repurposed something else. And I think back to my own childhood, reading comic books, watching movies, loved superheroes. And in fact, one of the ways you could get your powers was by being an inventor. And it was treated in the same sort of magical way that being a mutant or being hit with some kind of cosmic rays was. It was all just like magic. But I wanted to spell that. I want to myth bust that idea of the inventor. Let's just start with your firefighting robot. So you get this idea, like where did this impulse come from? And then now you have to build it. What, what it, how do you go about, how do you go about building a firefighting robot? Well, the inception of the idea was that I had noticed from a commercial that I had done that required me to make a seven up vending machine into a robot that had tracks on it, like what a tank has. After the commercial, as I usually do, I kept all the parts and had things to salvage to put to other purposes. And I was looking at these tracks and I realized that these are awfully broad. You know, that's kind of the way they work. They have this wide footprint, which translates to a low pressure on the ground, a low PSI uh, distributed over that wide track meant that it can stay on top of things like sand or mud and things that uh, normal wheels would sink into. I started to think about that, and I had seen some images on the news of these fires in California that are on a grass hilly field, and you see this leading edge of burning material where it's just kind of moving across the field in a line, a kind of zigzagging line, and I realized, well, what if we had a vehicle that could uh, use these tracks to roll over that burning line and sort of stamp it out, and maybe if we sprayed water on it at the same time, it would hold that water or the, the water vapor and steam down on the grass and penetrate the leaf litter and things like that. It could just move at faster than running speed along the leading edge of this fire and just stamp it out. I call it the rolling wet blanket effect. I had that idea sitting there percolating in my head for like a decade. I started to get more serious about it eventually. I was thinking that, well, these things that we had on the vending machine 
while the idea was sound, they weren't really that big. So I said, let's make it bigger. Let's put something that's big enough to hold like what a Wildlands fire truck can hold, like around a thousand gallons or so. I started researching it and eventually came up with this idea to use a repurposed military armored personnel carrier, which was about the right size to do that, was all terrain. It had tracks and this whole system basically uh, runs water that we have sloshing around in the bilge of this thing. And this is effectively a robot with a rainstorm inside. And <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it is, this whole thing is just crazy. It doesn't exist. You know, it wasn't like, aha, I'm going to build this thing and I go out and do it. It was a, an incremental process where you have an idea, kind of a, uh, an inkling of an approach and you start to push on it. You start to pry a, a, a little bit on that and apply leverage to the idea. And incrementally, bit by bit, you start to notice things and other things that you can apply leverage to uh, as far as forming the concept. I wonder if that's really the thing that you you just mentioned. It, it wasn't this aha moment. And, and culturally, we we have the story of Eureka. We think about it as it's like the apple falls on Newton's head and suddenly this entire theory, uh, you know, emerges from him like Athena out of the skull of Zeus or something. We really think this. Uh, for some reason, we believe that if the ideas just don't come and then the whole invention is done within a day, then you're not an inventor or something. Well, um, often I find it starts with a seed. And the seed in this case was that idea of this rolling wet blanket effect that I described with these tracks. You observe things, you form questions, you, you daydream, and you go, what if? And that's not a eureka moment, but it might lead to another thing which leads to another thing and, and so on. With a lot of the projects that I take on, in fact, I end up making progress and reaching some end game that I would never have been able to get to in a single intuitive leap. Now, that's the incremental process, and, and it's actually kind of an adventure for me. You know, I'll just hold something in my head and let it percolate for a long time and dream about it or play with the idea. Sometimes physical experimentation with the idea and so on actually is also uh, really helpful. But then maybe even a decade down the road, through all of that playing in my head and incrementally coming up with additional ideas to enhance or evolve the original one, I end up getting someplace that I never dreamed of that I would get to. I which wrote, is just a fascinating experience. I, uh, I wrote a book called Citizen Sim. It was a science fiction book. And people would ask me, and it's got a pretty intensely conceived of world. And there's all this like drama that happens. People are like, where does this idea come from? It's like, well, actually, I was standing in Union Square on a corner, busy corner. And I imagined myself just leaping over the street. And that was it. It has nothing to do with my plot today. It has nothing to do with the story. It was this weird thing that I started asking questions like that. I was like, oh, how did I do that? I wonder. Where did that come from? What, what about this? And then slowly the story blossomed. That's something I think more people have access to, the idea of, of telling a story. We tell stories all the time. We have dreams all the time. Maybe they're more similar. The, the, the creative piece of us is, is the same, whether we're inventing something or, or telling a story. or. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot of... Uh... All these things that go into coming up with an idea or a story or any kind of an effort as it's all kind of a part of a soup. We actually evolved from the primordial soup as oozing kind of amoeba-like things that eventually evolved into where we're at. And I think our brains still kind of work that way. It's not like stuff in our brains is 
stacked up like boxes that are put on a pallet rack with a forklift and neat little rows. It's sort of a pile. You know, if you think of it as a pile of sand, say, and you keep adding as you go through your life or through your experiences or even just through your thoughts, you keep adding grains of sand to that pile. Eventually, it causes a cascade like an avalanche. That's the eureka moment, or it may just be a seed that you'll add to the pile that will cause some other avalanche that eventually becomes the eureka moment. It's kind of fascinating looking back over a very active and inventive life from being a boat captain in the Caribbean and growing up on a farm to doing linguistics and special effects and so on. I found once I started uh, having access to these effects shops, I found myself delighting in going from, say, using a sewing machine to sew something to operating an excavator and moving some massive thing or welding something or using explosives. It started to seem like the same stuff. It's all there in that pile. And I've gotten to the point where I do feel like some of these things are starting to pop out as just eureka moments because I've got such a big pile in my head. If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at the same time as I'm eventually becoming senile, I suppose, is, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I presume that maybe the pile will collapse into a mud puddle or something like that. But what I find is a regular experience now is that I'm making intuitive leaps in areas that I have no direct experience with at all as a result of that foundation. I find when I'm going into some conversation or brainstorming session with a specialist in his particular area that I can keep right up or even come up with some things that that person didn't think of because of this broad foundation. As a result of that, I've become a real advocate for collecting everything and anything that you possibly can to put in that pile because your brain will hold on to that and make connections for you that are not rational kind of methodical things. You can go incrementally through a process and, you know, make great strides that way. But occasionally there are these superpower leaps that you end up making that you have no idea how you were able to do that. It's inspiration. Well, it's inspiration, but it's built on this foundation of stuff that was acquired. It's not like I'm sitting in a vacuum and crap just pops out of midair. Right. There's stuff in there that is is causing this. You can build a kind of inspiration engine in your brain. You know, I, I methodically try to do that. And when I go into a session with myself, if I'm inventing something or problem solving something, I'm generally on a treadmill because I find the mind and the body are really not as separate as we seem to feel. There's some evidence, and I've been trying to encourage some of my colleagues in the universities to do controlled studies on this. There's not been much that has gone into whether ideation and thought processes are enhanced by physical activity at the same time. I, I speculate that there's an evolutionary reason for it, which is that the way we evolved, when did we need both physical right. and mental Hunting. performance? hunting, mating, uh, evading prey. That's when everything kicks into full gear. So I find it like turning on a switch. If I get my body going, then uh, my brain is right there with it. I've had the same experience with my, I think my best creative thinking happens in the when I'm walking in the cold, the colder weather. And even if it's raining, especially if it's miserable weather, uh, yeah, something just works. Something just clicks. Yeah, and for other people, it'll be something else. There's some physical processes with that, that, you know, hormones and oxygenation in the blood and who knows what. But as I said, 
these things don't exist in a vacuum. You know, we live in a physical world. We deal with physical and abstract things. The way that I see our brains working when we're inventing or problem solving or something like that is this sort of amoeba-like or more like popcorn going off where, you know, things start bouncing around and making connections that you're not aware of. And that's when new things are generated, whether they're seeds or, or large ideas. But when I go into a problem solving process, I'm trying to generate that environment where I even intentionally create a specific environment, like a 3D video game sort of environment that has textures and features and smells and sounds and everything that I can put in there to create something for my brain to make attachment points on instead of, oh, I'm in limbo, you know, pop, there's the idea. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) I'm wondering if we can apply some of this stuff to, there's a, a pretty popular kind of ongoing debate in Silicon Valley in the technology industry more broadly of uh, luck versus planning. Can you iterate your way to success or do you have to plan something from the very beginning? Now, I think it seems like almost certainly a little bit of both or some amount of both. It doesn't seem like any company has done purely one or the other. But on the iteration side, what you were talking about makes me think that maybe the calculus or planning folks look at iteration as this hopelessly luck-based worldview. And it is that a lot of the times. It seems the, the problem is people don't know what seeds are worth working on. If that inspiration is the seed, if that's the luck part, uh, it doesn't, like you said, come out of a vacuum. You, you, have, to, you have to build up a sense of, of which one of those random things is worth tinkering on and then which one of those things is, is worth working on for, for a long period of time. I agree with that, but another way to look at this uh, that I'm fond of using is to think of this as a forensic investigation. Your job is to go in and collect evidence and try to create this context, this environment that I, I was talking about that's aimed in a particular direction, just like a forensic thing would, you know, okay, there's a bullet hole in the wall and, you know, there's a hole over here. That means it, a gun was from such and such angle or something like that. You are incrementally starting to build evidence. Some of it's going to be useless. Uh, you're going to have to sift through it to find out the ones that aren't useless and run experiments, collect more evidence this incremental assembly of evidence eventually starts to paint a picture of what happened there. If you're trying to ideate taking that same sort of an approach where you're starting off with a relatively blank slate, you're trying to fill that slate with evidence that allows you to apply leverage on an idea and move you incrementally towards a conclusion, which you know may be a eureka moment where all that evidence cascades at a certain point to give you an answer that, aha, this is what happened, or this is what I need to do to make this idea actually work. But looking at it like that, I think, you know, a lot of uh, science, for example, it's not like I'm a scientist, I'm going to do some science. This is, well, I have an idea or I have some kind of goal. How am I going to go about it? Well, just start collecting evidence. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to do anything other than take one step at a time and be observant, take notes, be methodical and work your way through it. A long time ago before I got into effects, I was a library student. I had got my degree in, in Russian and was intending to become a, like in charge of a Slavic collection in a university or a government library or something like that. And I decided to um, take a break and go to the Caribbean because I wanted to learn how to sail. 
I got boating magazines and found, you know, what places in the world do a lot of charters. And so I made lists of those and just methodically went about finding out that the U.S. Virgin Islands was the most appropriate place for me. And I went there. No experience. A couple weeks after I got there, though, I ended up with my own boat. And six months later, I had my captain's license and my dive master's rating. This was all just being methodical. A lot of people, young people in particular, may hesitate about trying to take on some new direction or, uh, you know, like, let's say building things, because I'm known for being able to build all this stuff. Well, most of the people that I have apply for work, young people, students or whatever, they'd read stuff in school and whatnot, and they had all this passive knowledge, but they didn't know which end of a screwdriver to use, as it were. My answer to that, get some tools, go into what I did. I started because I was reasonably handy, but I didn't have any experience with machine tools or sculpting, molding, casting, or anything like that. So I started off cleaning the shop. You know, I got myself a job as an assistant at one of these effect shops in New York City. And I had reasoned that if I was the person that was cleaning stuff up and putting things away, I had to kind of know what those things were and how they worked, what they were for. And that actually worked. I sorted and organized and I observed what people were doing. And I became good at doing all of those things simply by cleaning. Since then, I've never had any of these young people that wanted to come and work in my shop do that. Everybody looks at it as that's a dead-end thing, you're a janitor or something like that. But no, that's being methodical. The person that knows where everything is in a shop is a person in power. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can do anything without him uh, or her. That's just being methodical. What am I going to do? I'm going to experience how am I going to get in this place well they're going to need to keep things orderly and clean right yeah so do that (laughs) I soared with that this being methodical working incrementally through something if you don't have any experience you don't have a clear idea of how to do something or solve a problem you just need to start poking at it and and collecting evidence what's all this stuff start grabbing it and sorting it and you'll know from founders fund i'm mike solana and this is anatomy of next new world 